Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Hallelujah. Judges chapter number six. We would normally be starting a series right now, but I felt the spirit just leading a different direction today. I want to look at Judges chapter number six. I pray tonight that perhaps the word of the Lord can speak to us. Everybody say us. Speak to us because I believe it encircles uh, the first apostolic church. Judges six, verse number three, the Bible says, and so it was when Israel had sown that the Midianites came up and the Amalekites, the children of the east, even they came up against them. They encamped against them, destroyed the increase of the earth. Till thou come unto Gaza, left no sustenance for Israel, neither sheep, nor ox, nor ass. Skip down to verse number 11. And there came an angel of the Lord and sat under an oak which was in Ophrah that pertained unto Joash the Abiezrite. And his son Gideon threshed wheat by the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. The angel of the Lord appeared unto him and said to him, The Lord is with thee. Thou mighty man of valor. For a little while tonight, and perhaps I'll even out the time that I took from last Wednesday. But I want to I preach this to you tonight. And I pray right now that as I say it, that it's a statement from heaven to you. The Lord is with you. I want you to receive that from heaven today that the Lord is with you. Hallelujah. Will you pray with me right now? Father, I come to you tonight. God, you are far better acquainted, Lord, with the individual needs in this house than I am. But God, I am to a certain degree acquainted with the varying needs of the people that sat before me. God, I'm praying, Lord, for your spirit to do a work, Lord, in the realm of ministering God to people in this house. God, I present myself to you, Lord, as a vessel. Present myself to you, Lord, as an instrument. I pray, oh God, sound clearly, Lord, in the lives, Lord, of this church. God, in the families, God, that make up and, Lord, create, Lord Jesus, this, this family, Lord Jesus, of church members. Help us, Lord, tonight. God, we want to hear, Lord Jesus, what heaven would say to our souls and our spirits. God, individually and collectively. God, let there be a power of your spirit, God, that would be unmistakable. God, in this place tonight, God, bolster somebody's faith. Give a second win, God, to someone that's lacking it this evening. 
Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah. Can we just raise our hands and thank him right now? Master, I love you. I love you, Jesus. Oh, you're everything, God. You're everything, God. You're everything, God. Jesus, we love you. Hallelujah, 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 Jesus, Jesus. Oh, yeah, come on, let's just magnify him right here. I feel the sweet spirit of the Lord in this place. God, you are so good, you're so good, you're so good, Lord. We can speak the name of Jesus. Speak the name of Jesus, speak the name of Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Amen. You may be seated this evening. The Lord is with you. The Lord is with you. I by chance cannot explain any better about what happens to us in life than what I can with the observation of my sweet children. And before there were two of them, it happened between the child and the parent. And that is any kid, I mean, should in their life have growing up little wooden building blocks. Any, I mean, we, I think they are timeless. They are classic. And as a result of that, we, our home, has within it some of those wooden building blocks to the number of about 50 and it is a common practice of ours as we are putting them up we're counting to make sure we got all 50 back in the bag the reason being is Mariah and Trevor sits down and now Mariah's a little older because it's more meaningful to her now to absolutely construct and build something and I remember playing her role when she was the kid, a little smaller, and I was the architect. And I would form and build things. And as it would always seem, you are setting every block just meticulously where it should and ought to be according to your reasoning. You have something in your mind to build. It's pictured there and you are placing every block just carefully as it is placed in your mind as you have dreamed of it to be I know it's just building block folks but just listen to me and so we're positioning them and placing them and it seems to be next side you Mariah whenever she was younger and now it's Trevor to Mariah a little laughter that's going on as the other is building and positioning the blocks on the floor oh so carefully making sure that they don't topple, making sure that they don't fall. And you begin to hear just a little snicker over there and you see in your peripheral vision a little fidgety, anxious hand that's sticking out and moving in on what you are constructing. And the heartache is this, is that I remember oftentimes I had in my mind what I wanted what I desired to build, but in the process of Mariah being around and now Trevor being around Mariah, I never got the thing totally constructed. I don't know how many times I would think in my mind, there's just 10 more blocks that I need to carefully place where they need to go, and I'll be able to call this thing a finished work only 
for that little hand to come in, laugh as it was doing it, and just destroy everything that I've been trying to accomplish. And now, Mariah is understanding what that's all about. And she's starting to build, and Trevor knocks down. And she starts to build again and position all the blocks, but before she can put the capstone block in place, Trevor knocks down. And he's laughing, and it's funny to him, but it's frustrating to Mariah. He's having a heyday, but she is upset and sometimes comes to the place and asks herself, what in the world am I doing this for anyway? What's the big purpose in putting these blocks up again, not even to reach my destination, only for them to be knocked back down before I get constructed and formed what I had in goal, what I had in mind? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Someone say amen. amen. So it was this evening for the Israelites during this time of life right now. For seven years they had been putting seed in the soil. For seven years, they had put blood and sweat and tears in the cultivation and the working of the ground. For seven years, every time that it came time for harvest, there would be grain on the stalks and there would be wheat in the fields and it was ready for them to come out with their sickle and bring in the harvest that they had put so much work in a harvest that they had dreamed about, a harvest that they had set their heart on. But the Bible says because of their oppression from the Midianites, every year it became harvest time and they was gonna be able to say, we got a good work that's completed here. It's finished. This is what we've been working for. This is what we have been desirous of. Every year before they had a chance to get to the field, the enemy would come in like the anxious child with his hand and his destruction, and he would reap the field that somebody else planted. Amen. And ladies and gentlemen, it wasn't that it just happened one year, but these Israelites go out after that year and they diligently again care for the soil and they make sure the proper irrigation is there for water and they make sure that the seed is good and that the ground is good and they go out there and they bow their back under the sweltering heat and they do the work all over again very hopeful for what's gonna come about all of that and there is a good crop in the field but before they ever benefit from it their adversary comes in year number two and steals it away. And it would be the process of this for seven years that these same Israelites, these same individuals would be, if you will, be poisoned every block of their life situating everything in every row as it needed to be situated. Only whenever they've done all their work to understand that their work, when their hopes and their dreams and their aspirations were ripped out from under them. I believe I'm talking to a group of people this evening that are living in some of that exact moment in their life right now. But there are certain things in your life that you have hopes and aspirations and dreams and you're putting your blocks just where they need to be and your hopes at different times have become very high because you've been so close to completion so close to getting your hand on it so close for it coming true just for it all to fall apart and for all of it oh, 
Amen. I know with certainty as a body, as a church, I know with certainty as a church sometimes, amen, that I can see collectively, amen, and in my own life and spirit. Let me talk about some things maybe that you can resonate with this evening. Perhaps it's the bills and the finances that you have in your home. And ladies and gentlemen, you know, they've compiled and they've compiled and they've compiled. And then finally, you know, it seems like things just work out in such a way. It was just tax re- re- uh, refunds uh, for some maybe, Amen. And people thought, man, I'll be able to slap a good portion of this on that bill and it's going to go down by so many dollars. Man, this we're, we're going to get there. It's going to be all right. It's going to be okay. Just for you just to do that and waiting over there in the wing was a new expense that you had no idea about that now it's coming right back on the table that you thought you were getting to get clear and you're thinking, my God, what is the use in all this? Why do I even try? For some of you, it's your health. For some of you, it's your health. Hallelujah. You've faced a few tests and a few things and everything now. The reports are getting a little bit better. Everything's going better with my health. Only for a few weeks, it seems like, goes by. And now the doctor says, hey, we've seen something here. There's something new on the radar. And you were positioning all your blocks and you thought you'd finally arrived. It's going to be okay now. But now everything's falling apart. Someone shout amen. Perhaps, perhaps it is those who are and who have been, amen, unemployed sitting before me tonight, those who have and are perhaps. Brother Mason, I know for sure those times that the job seemed to be like it was gonna be promising. We had the three interviews. We talked about benefits. We talked about your role and what you'll play and how, be, how beneficial you'll be to our team only to find out a couple weeks or a week later the call comes back. Somebody else filled the position. You you thought, you thought here it is now. It's right in my hand. I'm going to be able to finish this thing. It's going to be okay. But now all of that is stripped away from you. Someone say yes. And it doesn't but take just a process of a few times of that. It doesn't take but a few scenarios of that, whatever the division of life that you may be found in in that. It doesn't just take a few times of that that the things start to go through your mind like this. What is the use anyway? Why am I doing this anyway? It doesn't matter what I do. It doesn't profit anything anyway. Uh, Someone say yes. I want you to know that the, 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 the device of the Midianites was not for them to somehow complicate the sowing. They had no problem. They wanted, if you will, encourage the children of Israel to sow. They wanted them to have hopes. They wanted them to have aspirations. They wanted them to work the ground. They wanted them, amen, to see a little green crop start up to come through the soil. They wanted them to maintain that. They wanted them to make sure that that field was irrigated. They wanted them to make sure the weeds were kept away from that crop. They wanted them to sow. They wanted them them to plant. They didn't want to frustrate that, but what they wanted to do was frustrate their harvest. They didn't care one deal about what they were planting. They didn't care one deal about what they were sowing. They just wanted to frustrate the harvest. I come even to tell this church assembly that over the past several years, the enemy hasn't cared about our sowing. He hasn't cared about our planting, but what he wants to do is frustrate our heart. What he wants to do is frustrate our harvest. He wants you to do the work, poise everything just right, have every go 
set and for him to come in and rape you of your harvest. Someone say yes. The Bible plainly says that the Midianites would come in and they would destroy the increase. They would destroy the increase. They'd leave the ground intact. The seed intact. They would just take whatever profited from the seed in the ground. You know what? where that kept then the children of Israel? That kept them in a position of having what they always had and maintaining what they always had to maintain but never accumulating. And there's been times over my life, life here I feel like Bishop sometimes that that seems like the call of duty. Have what we have. Be called to the ministry of maintaining because every time a harvest comes or increase, the enemy comes in and he strips us of the increase and frustrates our harvest. An amazing thing about this, folks, is that whenever you consider the different trials that Israel went through during the series of the book of Judges and the judges, the people themselves, this was a different type of oppression than any type of oppression that they had had before. For the most part, their oppressions fell under the category of a constant pressure and a constant oppression. But what happened here with the Midianites was this. They were only seasonal oppressors. Yes, sir. Come on now. There wasn't always the heat upon the Israelites. It was just during the time of harvest. But realize... What that did then to the Israelites, whenever they left the field, they were thinking in themselves, it's going to be okay now. They were thinking, we're not going to have to worry about this now. So let's get busy putting our blocks back together. Let's, let's get busy getting the old, the old plow back out. And let's prepare the ground again. And them leaving just did nothing for their hopes to get built. And lo and behold, the next time at the right season for them to be knocked back down. Has anybody in this place felt like your hopes have been raised and only to get the air knocked back out of you? Someone say Amen. So it wasn't a constant pressure. It was just a seasonal invasion that they had at harvest time. And therefore tonight, ladies and gentlemen, it is no wonder. And I am by no means surprised then that there would be a man, Gideon, that was found by the angel of the Lord that was threshing some wheat by, literally in the wine press. Gideon was doing that. Why? Because he actually had some of the harvest. Hear me now. He actually had some of the harvest. He actually had some of the fruits of his labor in his hand. It might not have been a big enough amount to fill a big barn, but he had a portion. He had a small little bit of it. And he said, I know one thing is for sure. They always go out and they always rape the field. And I cannot thresh this wheat upon the mountaintop where you would normally thresh wheat because they'll go there to try to strip my harvest. And I got to keep my hand on this small little minuscule mini amount that I have. I got to protect this right here. Someone say amen. So he knew, he knew their tendency of frustrating the harvest. So he says, I got to protect 
this little bit here. See, understand normally, normally the procedure would have been that they would take that weed upon some high hill or some high mountain somewhere and they would thresh that weed up there and the oxen would go in a circle upon a wooden or stone floor and they would crush, hallelujah, the chaff from the wheat and they would use a winnowing fork and throw that stuff up in the air and, and that chaff would be blown away but the grain would fall back down to the ground, that which was good, that which they needed, amen, but that threshing floor is on the top of the hill. That threshing floor is on top of the mountain. Everybody can see that. That threshing hill is up there and it would draw the attention, the noise of the oxen on the stone and the wood would draw the attention of the adversary. So I'm going to have to get myself down to the wine press because the wine press isn't found on the mountaintop. The wine press is found at the foot of the hill. Or if I might say the wine press is found in the valley. The threshing floor was on the mountain, but the wine press was found in the valley. And Gideon says, I got to go down here to the valley. He says, but that which I would normally do on the mountaintop. He says, that which we would normally do on the mountaintop. How many times have you ever used the verbiage or the phraseology? Man, I'm telling you what, I'm having a mountaintop experience. Because that's to be associated with everything good, everything profitable, everything wonderful. I'm having a mountaintop experience. But whenever you say mountaintop experience, you are using some adjectives there to, to describe your experience. And those adjectives are nothing more but a location. I would like to change our terminology a little bit. And rather than start talking about mountaintop experiences, why don't we just plainly call them God experiences? Because Gideon said, what I would normally get and do on the mountaintop, he says, I'm going to take down to the valley. I would normally thresh on the mountaintop. He says, but I'm going to do some threshing right down here in... In other words, it doesn't matter my location, mountaintop or valley, I'm still going to have a God experience. Someone say yes. I'm going down here in the wine press and I'm going to get in it and, and yeah I'm kind of confined down here but that doesn't keep me from doing something I'd normally be on the high place where the wind could blow and I would normally be up there but I'm going to go in the valley and I'm going to work on a harvest in the valley because if our mind and our bodies follow the same precepts of our phraseology of only mountaintop experiences we'll come to a, a, a if you will a misconception that those experiences can only happen then if we're on a mountaintop but if we get in our minds that they are God experiences then it doesn't matter what our location is or what our circumstances are or what our health is or what our finances say I can have a God experience on the mountain or I can have a God experience in up in the valley. Someone say hallelujah. Gideon's no fool. He knows what the last seven years has brought. He knows the tactics and the ways of his adversary. He knew that the present circumstances would not allow him mountaintop activity he knew his current environment 
wasn't going to allow him to get to the mountaintop. He says, so if I can't get there, I'm going to have to allow my activity that I do here resemble my activity of what I would do if I were there. Because let's just get honest. There's times the mountaintop is a little far-reaching for what we're going through. Amen. And although the location may be not real feasible right now, my activity doesn't have to be bound by my location. And so I'm going to get down here in this valley. And if I'll use our phraseology, I'm going to have a mountaintop experience in the valley. Listen, folks. Gideon for many years and processes of time he's got a bad rap Gideon has got a bad rap he's been characterized as the coward he's been characterized as the scaredy cat been characterized as the one man who is this that God's talking to and calling upon he's nothing he's a scaredy cat he's afraid he's cowering and yes he was afraid and the Bible says he was there threshing wheat there by the wine press amen to hide it from the Midianites he, he was hiding it from the Midianites he knew that they liked to frustrate the harvest and there he is and so they're saying he's afraid and, and that he doesn't have a backbone and he's just like everybody else in the den in the cave and, and all that somewhere but I want, I want to somehow issue this amen for us this evening yes Gideon was threshing in a wine press where you normally don't thresh wheat and yes he was in the valley rather than on the mountaintop doing this but I do want to relay this to you Gideon had the mindset please hear this if you don't hear much else Gideon had the mindset of determination that I'd rather have a little harvest than no harvest at all Rather than year after year see me get this thing built up and the adversary come in and take it away and do that year after year, I'd rather get my hand on some of it and even go to the valley if I have to and go back to my family and my household with a little bit of a harvest than no harvest at all. I think God's calling to the first apostolic church tonight and telling us we need to get somehow over the idea of no harvest. Just get your hands on something. Go down to your valley and have a God experience in the valley and come up with somewhat of a harvest. Someone say yes. And so... Every year their hopes would rise for a harvest. Their adversary would steal it away. This year Gideon says, they might steal most, but they won't steal all. I've seen my kids, Sister Iva, in this little building block analogy. They see the hand of threat coming. What are they doing? They're saying you might get some of the blocks. But you're not going to get them all. I might have to start back at a certain place. But I don't have to start over. There's 
people in this house tonight that's deeply frustrated because you've started over and you started over and you started over. I want you to know you can grab you a piece of your harvest in the middle of your valley and you won't have to start over. You might have to rebuild some things, but you will not have to rebuild all things. And as though Gideon was of that persuasion, everyone of that nation was not of the same persuasion. Whereas he came to a place that he was tired of rebuilding, he said, I'm going to keep some. There were others that said, I'm tired of rebuilding. I'm tired of planting and sowing, irrigating, just to have to do it all over again the next year and not benefit from what I did the previous year. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm not going to sow or plant this year. I'm not going to irrigate this year. It came to a place. They got there and convinced themselves truly what is the use anyway? We've been there. What is the use anyway? I'll just quit attempting. I'll quit trying. I'll find my den, my cave, my stronghold. And I'll isolate and separate myself there. Because if I can keep isolated, I don't have to worry about being hurt. I'm telling you what, Holy Ghost is helping me tonight. But I need to preach to us of that persuasion. Because whenever you come to a position of never sowing, never planting, never irrigating, listen to me right now. Those inactions impact the fertility of the ground. For future generations. Whereas we know undoubtedly, even scripture bears out that the seventh year would always be a year of rest for the fields and the crops. It was demanded and it was necessary. It's biblical. That's good and fine. But prolonged dormancy of a field. Where a year may prove beneficial, prolonged dormancy of a field will have quite the converse or the inverse, might I say, effect upon the field. It affects the fertility of the soil. Listen to me now. See, because if I go on and plant, and I go on and sow, and I go on and irrigate, and the enemy comes in and he takes all the ears of corn off my stalks. Those stalks are still going to be there and finally decompose. Fall back to the soil from which they were grown from. And in doing so, they enrich and bring the necessary nutrients to the soil for the next season. 
But if I do not plant, and we say, well, they didn't get anything this year. But neither did you or your future generations. Hear me right now. Because if they stay in the posture of not planting and not sowing, the soil is going to lose its fertility. It's going to lose its proper nutrients. And when the day comes that the oppression has lifted and their children go to the same field to now plant some crop that they can benefit from, it will not grow. It will not come to fruition because nobody continued planting a seed before them. As hard as I'm going to say this and I'll live it. As hard as I'm going to say this and I'll live it. I have to tell you this. That whenever you're being oppressed and everything that you're trying to build up, the enemy is yaking the carpet out from under your feet. I need to tell somebody tonight to keep on planting and keep on sowing. Because it might not be benefiting you today. But it could be benefiting your children tomorrow. It might not be benefiting this church today. But it might be benefiting the next generation. That when they go out to the field with precious seed in tears they'll have some fertile soil that they can put that in and bring forth a bountiful crop we got to keep at it even if it's just getting our hand on a little of the harvest we got to keep at it listen to me because it's highly probable, highly probable. I didn't give this scripture to Sister McGee. I'll reference it for you. Of Ruth, the precious book of Ruth, chapter 1 and verse number 1. If I can get it here quickly, I'll read it to you in your hearing. The Bible basically says these words. <clears throat> now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. It's highly probable the famine that was in the land during the time of the judges, Scripture bears. The famine that was in the land during the time of the judges, what's described right there is a famine that resulted from the oppression of the Midianites, of them taking their grain the grain of their cattle, the grain of their livestock. And as a result of that, thus affecting the Israelites' determination and fortitude to continue. Insomuch, I'm saying probable tonight, that Elimelech, Ruth's husband, could have been one of those among those like Gideon who was suffering in the same environment and surroundings. But we have two different people's responses. One that said, I'll get my hand on whatever I can get my hand on. And I'm going to plan again next year. And another one that said, what's the use? Why don't we just throw in the towel on this and go somewhere else? And as a result, the Bible plays out Elimelech dies. His two boys die. 
Because somebody didn't just hold on to their determination and said, I can have a God experience even in my frustrated valley. I won't hold us much longer, just a little while longer. Don't put your coat on just yet. Judges 6 and 12. Gideon's threshing wheat there. He's got his hand on what he could get his hand on. As a spirit of determination, I must be messing with this microphone or I got enough sweat to, I'm bringing in frequencies from radios. Just like tinfoil. Bible says, and the angel of the Lord appeared unto him while he's doing this and said unto him, the Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. The Lord, everybody say, the Lord is with thee. Look at your neighbor and tell him, the Lord is with thee. About ready to drive me crazy. He did not say that the Lord has been with thee. He did not give a prophetic utterance and say, The Lord's going to be with thee. But he was talking to a man that endured seven years of oppression. That his goals and dreams and aspirations ripped from him more times than he could count. A man whose feet are in a place of confinement in a valley that has his hand on a small portion of his harvest. And he's telling them, the Lord is with you. Against whatever your mentality and emotion and the devil might be telling you right now. Hear the voice of heaven. That God's not going to be with you. And it's not that God has been with you. But right now where you are in the midst of what's going on. God is with you. Gideon was a special kin of you and I. Because he starts asking the popular questions. If God be with us, then why is all this happening? Where are all the miracles? If I'm to deliver God's people, wherewith, in other words, how shall I do this? Gideon brought up the popular questions that we bring up. When is this going to end? Where is the finances going to come from? How is this going to all play out? Honey, the most important question was answered with the voice of the angel. Who? The who might not answer your why. (laughs) Per se. The who might not answer your how. Per se. The who might not answer the when or the why. But he does answer the who. What is the who? 
God is with you. Go on and ask the why. That's okay. Go on and ask the when. That's okay. Go on and ask the where. That's fine. But don't forget the who. God is with you. Big deal. Thanks for the platitude. Appreciate it. Put it on my charge. It's already sky high anyway. I want to slow very quickly. I won't hold you much longer. Maybe. I'm learning to throw disclaimers in like that so I don't lie. I want you to understand, though, the importance and the validity and the strength of that phrase, the Lord is with you. Because, from my understanding, from my reading, from my searching, there are only two other people in Scripture that have this exact phrase, the Lord is with you. The only two other people in scripture that have that exact phrase spoken into their life. One of them is David. The other is Mary, the mother of Jesus. So whenever I think Gideon is only among three that have had that phrase ever spoken and I begin to look at these other lives like David. And I see what he went through. Being mocked of by his brothers. Being a fugitive for years by his father-in-law. Being in the wing of waiting for the kingship that he was anointed for many years prior. Dodging javelins and spears for the sake of his life. Being betrayed by his first wife. Losing child after child to adversity, problems, and just pure death. And God told him, I am with you. You can stand with me. Furthermore, there is no greater illustration of the validity of this phrase than this last person. There is no greater validity. It should be emboldened in our minds how important that phrase is because of that same phrase being issued to Mary, the mother of Jesus. There's no greater illustration. It doesn't help our understanding any better what this means of God being with us than that being spoken to Mary whom the Holy Ghost overshadowed and conceived something in her womb which was the Son of God Jesus himself. (laughs) The Lord is with you Mary. (laughs) Yeah I suppose he is. The Lord is with you, Mary. (laughs) 
But you know what would bear that even further out, Bishop? It wouldn't just be the nine months of what she's seen growing in her womb. But it would be the fruition of the baby that would be born from the womb. God's with you, folks. God's with you in your financial trouble. God's with you in your sickness and your disease. God's with you in your financial difficulty. God's with you in your unemployment. God's with you in your loss of children. God's with you, amen, your relationships. And all along, God is with you. And all you seem to be doing is bearing something in the womb. But the reality bell's gonna sound when that which you felt move in your womb becomes a baby that's crying in your ears. And God brings that thing that you've been diligent over. To pass and brings the promise to pass. I'm encouraging this group of people tonight. We're closing this evening. That God, the Lord, is with you. And the Lord is with the first apostolic church. I want to try to encourage somebody with the word of the Lord. That your problem is not your seed. And your problem is not your soil. Your problem just happens to be an adversary that likes to frustrate your harvest. Yes, there's things coming about as a result of your sowing and as a result of your irrigation. The thing is, you just never know about it because you're never able to get your hand upon it before he comes in and snatches it. But don't quit sowing and don't quit planting and don't, it's okay, listen. There's nothing wrong I've said, what's the use? Let's be translucent, transparent, whatever you want to call it. I said, what's the use? I didn't even dare to say. Today I've had a few of those moments. Sometimes my wife, right, I, I get it from my mother, I talk to myself. And sometimes my mind can be going 1,000 miles an hour. And I'm talking to God. I guess it's not myself. And I, but man, my mind's going 1,000 miles an hour and I'm thinking about some certain things. And I probably did it. I bet I, I just, just, just be honest. I probably did four times on the way to church tonight. Just crossed town. I'm sitting over there and I'm driving. And I'm saying, Lord, I don't know. Because <laughs> I'm thinking about some things and I'm pondering some things. And I'm just like, <laughs> yeah, right. I said, Lord, I just, I just out of the blue. I think I'm schizophrenic. I already told the guys I aren't sharpens iron. I probably was. If they was around me, that's another story. <coughs> I said, Lord, so, I just don't know. There's nothing wrong with that. You know what usually you got, you, you know what I'm doing? I'm saying, Lord, I don't know. But as I'm saying that, I'm dragging the plow behind me going out to the field. You know, after a while, so many times of those blocks being knocked down, you know, I can get pretty quick about where my first and second level need to be because I've done it so many times. And I guess in it all, God's perfecting a process. But know this, that the Lord is with you. This is coming to a close tonight. They're going to sing. This altar is open. 
I pray someone would just grab a hold of those words. And please do not misinterpret my spirit tonight. I have not been saying tonight, get over it. Buck up, buddy. Come on. No. I've been trying to breathe the fresh breath of air into your life and spirit and tell you you can get your hand a hold of a part of a harvest. And you can have a God experience in the valley without being on the mountain. And you can get tenacious enough about where you are in God or where you don't think you are in God right now that you would rather have part of a harvest than no harvest at all. Because you can do it. Because God has already said, I am with you. These altars are open. Folks, please, let's be responsive to this spirit. God is in this place. He's been in this place from the moment that we have started this service tonight. I have felt him, and I tell you right now, as a witness and example, God has helped me greatly this evening just for the purpose of delivering this. And I want you to know God is capable of coming down into your situation and you're, you're where you're at and to be right there with you. To be there with you. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you, and have a blessed day.